Just Life, a programme from Radio Maria England. Welcome to Radio Maria. You are listening to Just Life. Today we are going to be hearing from John Pontifex and John Candia from ACN, that is Aid to the Church in Need. They are going to be speaking to us about persecuted Christians and especially focusing on the Middle East. Good morning, John Pontifex and John Candia. Good morning. It's lovely to have the two of you with us today. I wonder if you could begin just by telling um, us a little bit about ACN for those who have never heard of it before. Of course. Thank you very much, Tim, for introducing us. And dear listeners, welcome to this third session on Aid to the Church in Need and the PNF report, the Persecuted and Forgotten report, which had just been launched in Parliament last month. My colleague, John Pontifex, Head of Press and Information at Aid to the Church in Need, Myself, John Kanga, Parliamentary and Press Officer for Aid to the Church in Need, will be very happy to introduce this session on the Middle East, which is one of the key areas of ACN's work and one of the key topics of the report. Aid to the Church in Need is a pontifical foundation of the Catholic Church, supporting the Catholic faithful and other Christians where they are persecuted, oppressed or in pastoral need. So among a number of projects that ACN funds, for example, uh, we help to provide catechetical material and books, we help to broadcast the faith. We help with church buildings, building them, renovating them, supporting for the uh, training of seminarians and also granting for the formation of religious and catechists. And one of the key planks of ACN's work is to subsidize uh, priests who are celebrating mass through grants uh, and also providing emergency aid to refugees and those fleeing war-torn situations, uh, particularly in the Middle East, as we'll hear later. Uh, and then also providing, for example, transport for those involved in spreading the gospel and ACN currently makes grants to around over to help around 5,000 projects particularly in the areas I've just described and uh, it's it's an absolutely vital uh, need for the church because obviously uh, in the west we can see that many of the uh, pieces of infrastructure that we have to, to spread the gospel uh, are not necessarily uh, there around the world in the Middle East in Africa last week we referred to Africa uh, and, and covered that in, in, in the report. And I, I thoroughly encourage you to go onto the Radio Maria website and to, to, to listen to that second episode as well as the first, which is the introduction. Uh, and one of the key planks of ACN's work, in addition to all those I've just described, is to produce research. And my colleague, John Pontifex, who will be on in just a minute, was one of the key authors of this report. And the research that ACN provides is vital not only for uh, persecuted Christians around the world to help them, but also for politicians, academics, researchers, charities, NGOs, think tanks in the UK, in Europe, and also in the States, uh, in other countries in the West, who can help and try and help those Christians who are in need. So it's a, a vital piece of research and a vital piece of uh, a vital service to the church. 
uh, worldwide. And recently, the report was launched in Parliament, uh, and this was done uh, largely through the help of Bishop Jude of um, Ondo State in Nigeria. And his, his, his diocese is in the southwest of Nigeria, but it was attacked by jihadist militants just this year during a Pentecost Sunday Mass. And so he came to the UK as well as the US to to share his plight, the plight of his uh, his, his people. And he, he launched a report in Parliament just last month. And this report is the one that my colleague will be discussing in depth and will refer to uh, in, in, in all its detail as much as we can within the hour we've got. Uh, and I just point you before I, I, I pass on to John, I just want to point you to something that you can do uh, to, to help persecuted Christians. And even if you don't have time to, to read the reports, you can order the report for free on our website, acnuk.org, and you'll find all the details there, as well as all kinds of, of news stories that we're, we're publishing every week about what we're doing to help the persecuted church, uh, as well as in the Middle East. But you'll find a petition there, acnuk.org forward slash petition hyphen 2022. And it's a petition that you can sign to help the persecuted Christians in Nigeria. So I thoroughly urge you to sign that and to, to share it on to your friends. Uh, signing petitions is one of the best things that we can do to to raise the issue with with parliamentarians and, and with others. And I thoroughly suggest you do that because there's there's not a, a huge number of ways that we can, can wake people up to this. We've been trying for many years. And we find that, that often the first thing people need to do is to know what's going on. And so petitions are, are the best way to do that. And I'll pass it on to my colleague, John Pontifex, now uh, to explain the situation, particularly in Syria and Iraq, and then move on to a few of the other countries in the Middle East. Thank you very much. Well, thank you, John. And it's an important opportunity to share with you a little bit about Persecuted and Forgotten, which John has just outlined. Um, the great report that we at Aid to the Church need produce on every two years or so, we produce this report, and its task is to provide a snapshot of where it is that Christians suffer for their faith, and uh, what are the drivers, what are the causes of this persecution, and what are the likely prospects going forward, and with a view to being able to find ways in which we, as faithful, as people concerned for our fellow Christians in different parts of the world, can actually provide some practical as well as moral assistance. And uh, when I established the Persecuted and Forgotten project back in 2006, it came at a time when uh, we had seen the invasion of Iraq, uh, which led in turn to an upsurge in persecution. Um, and at that particular point, we saw Al-Qaeda carrying out a series of attacks on churches and other Christian communities spreading fear. Um, but at that point, even though the situation was bad, um, few could have foretold just how awful things were to get with the emergence of Daesh, ISIS, Islamic State. And over the period from uh, 2011 onwards, with the so-called Arab Spring, we saw uh, the most unimaginable horror uh, carried out uh, by militant Islamist groups that targeted not only Christians, I should add, 
but also Yazidis who in many respects received worse treatment and also uh, Muslims who did not share their uh, extremist ideals um, were also in the frame for attacks. But given the nature of aid to the church needs work, our focus, and especially with the remit of persecuted and forgotten, was to draw out the impact that this persecution has had on uh, the, the, the Christian community. And the persecuted and forgotten report of the of last month when it was launched in Parliament drew out the the sad consequences of pre-existing persecution, recognizing that by 2020, uh, the starting point for our our focus, um, which covered the period 2020 to 2022, by even at the start of that period, we'd seen um, Daesh largely militarily defeated, both in Iraq and Syria. And yet, over the period under review, uh, from September, October 2020 uh, to, to September, end of September 2022, we saw the continuing fallout from that persecution. And um, this in many ways is the, the sort of the headline points under which we are operating as a charity within uh, the, the region. And of critical importance here is to say that um, over the period from 2011-2012 to 2022, uh, we saw a, a massive drop in the Christian community, particularly in Iraq and Syria, where Daesh, of course, had made their presence felt in such horrific ways. So in Syria, we had a Christian community uh, in 2011-2012 at the start of the Arab Spring of numbering perhaps 1.5 million, uh, which represented 10% of the population. Um, a decade later, uh, the community, according to our research, um, drawing on first-hand uh, evidence picked up from bishops uh, and from religious superiors and from our own fact-finding on the ground, that community has dwindled to perhaps 300,000, uh, which is less than 2%. Um, so a massive drop in the number of Christians in Syria. and Iraq, the decline uh, had already got underway by 2011, and the community had perhaps dwindled to 300,000. Um, but it continued over the period under review, so that perhaps there are only 100,000 Christians in Iraq, although official figures are higher. In real terms, it's probably nearer 100,000. Um, so... Uh, that's the position we're at today with a much diminished community. And that decline is also reflected in other parts of the Middle East. Um, for example, in the West Bank, um, the Christian community at the time of the creation of the State of Israel um, in the West Bank was about 18%, and it's now less than 1%, although in Israel itself, the Christian community has held up really quite well but in the West Bank, it has dwindled very considerably. So the task before aid to the church in need has been critically uh, to help provide the means by which to enable this ancient Christian civilization, uh, Christian community to survive, uh, not just as a relic uh, from the past, 
but but as a light, a living witness to the presence of Christ's love in that precious land, that land that's precious to 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 our Lord uh, and to the prophets from of old, but also as the the touchstone of our faith, the the living stones uh, are a witness to us, a sign of the rootedness of Christianity in a particular place at a particular time. And it's for all those reasons uh, and others that HCN has committed so much help for Christians uh, in the Middle East. And um, I was in Iraq in the immediate weeks that followed uh, the, the breakout of Daesh ISIS uh, from Mosul, you may remember in June 2014, uh, Daesh seized control of Mosul, Iraq's second city. Uh, and from there, in the August of 2014, uh, it increased its uh, land control uh, and took control of much of the ancient Nineveh Plains, where there are 13 or 14 Christian majority towns and villages and mo many of those fell under Daesh, and it sparked a massive exodus of Christians who were lucky to escape with their lives when Daesh rolled in um, in the middle of the night of the 6th of August 2014. And they fled en masse, 100,000 or more landed uh, in uh, the nearby uh, city of um, Erbil, the Christian quarter there, Ankawa, where Archbishop Bashar Warder, uh, the Chaldean Catholic Archbishop of, of Erbil, had this incredible task of grappling with thousands upon thousands of Christian families who landed on his doorstep that night with nothing and nobody able to help them except this one bishop there in that region. And uh, Aid to the Church in Need's task at that point was to throw a lifeline, literally throw a lifeline to a community uh, that was in desperate peril. And we provided in very quick order food, medicine and shelter. M initially, uh, people were living uh, under bridges, uh, out in the open, in sanctuaries, uh, religious shrines in Ankawa. And we provided tents and other things. Uh, by way of literally emergency help. And by degrees, uh, we uh, developed our program so that people uh, were moved into purpose-built housing and schools were, were built, erected, medicine and other support also provided. Uh, and that then enabled those who were um, so able to return to their towns and villages in the Nineveh Plains after Daesh was militarily defeated, a task that was completed in the October of 2016. And um, to illustrate uh, the impact and the courage of the community at the time, I'll tell you a little story about um, two elderly ladies that I met uh, in October of 2014. This is about a week weeks following this, the capture of Nineveh by Daesh. And this, these two elderly ladies were from the, the ancient Christian town of Karamlesh, which I visited only in March. And um, those two elderly ladies were there that night when Daesh took that town. Um, and they told me how they, fearing the worst, they'd locked themselves in their homes and only uh, the next morning, uh, 
um, they came out to go to their church of St. Adai uh, to find it locked, and they knew the worst had almost certainly befallen the town. And it was only a matter of time before Daesh rounded them up and took them to a, a, a hill on the edge of the town, the hill of Barbara, uh, which has St. Barbara is, is a very important saint for them, and it has a shrine, and they were gathered there, and uh, it was expected that they would be killed if they refused to convert to Islam. Um, and when this demand to convert was put to Gazella, that a woman, a Catholic woman of 80, uh, she responded by saying, um, you tell me if I convert, I will almost certainly um, see heaven. Well, heaven for me is about peace. It is about justice. It is about love. It, it is about charity. And uh, you can do what you like to me. You can even kill me, but I will not abandon my faith and my faith in the virtues of love and of truth. And um, the the group with her were horrified and angry with her for daring to, to challenge the Daesh military, but she held firm. And uh, they were so astonished by this elderly and frail woman's defiance, said very kindly, but very definitively, um, that they saw fit to let her go and let her go with her, her friend, um, Victoria. And the two of them were then able to join the rest of the group over in Erbil. And that's where we found them on a mattress there in, in an old uh, uh, school building. And um, I remember their, their courage. I remember their faith. And I remember how uh, pleased they were to see friends, supporters, uh, who'd come to, to, to give them courage, to give them strength, provide them food, provide them sh with shelter uh, in the form of aid to the church in need. And um, I remember uh, Victoria and Gazella hugging me as if I was a grandchild and, and saying, we're so pleased to see you. And that, that warmth is something that will stay with me uh, for, for, forever. And it gave us as a charity great hope um, that this Christian community uh, was not uh, was not going to be vanquished in terms of its spirit. It had a, a spirit of faith and courage uh, that was surely stronger than the forces of evil ranged against them. And um, as <clears throat> as a community of faithful, aid to the church in need has been very very active from that day to this in restoring what remains of the Christian community. And so in March. I was able to go back and see the extraordinary work uh, that the charity has been able to do, uh, not just in Karamlesh, um, uh, Victoria and Gazella's town, but also in nearby Karakosh, uh, Baghdada, as it's also known, and in Batnaya. And Batnaya um, is a Christian village which was completely uh, devastated. It was uh, absolutely reduced to rubble, not a stone upon a stone. And it was in that particular town uh, that Daesh um, had written slogans uh, on the walls, basically uh, saying that uh, Christians should either convert or die. And um, the, the church there um, was totally ransacked uh, and uh, uh, all the sacred items, the altar, the cross, 
uh, were, were smashed up. And um, I'd gone there in, in October 2016, 17, uh, to see it uh, as it lay desolate after Daesh had gone. And in March, I went back again and saw how the church was now being rebuilt. Uh, the, the altar was being sanded down. Uh, the flagstones were being replaced uh, in, in the church floor. Um, and the faithful were gathering with the bell still um, uh, on the ground, but able to be rung before being lifted into position in the belfry. And they were able at Easter 2022 to celebrate their first triduum, um, indeed their first services publicly uh, since before Daesh came. And it was a remarkable sign of uh, witness to the hope and the recovery. Um, and meanwhile, we have also um, done great work to rebuild uh, the, the education platform, which is critical to the survival of Christianity in educating the next generation. And two things to point out in this regard are uh, the um, Al-Tahira Secondary School in Karakosh, Baghdad, the largest of the Christian towns, uh, a brand new structure built out of nothing, uh, a, a piece of land that was available next to the primary school, and ACM contributed or paved the way for 80% of the funding necessary for this great uh, purpose-built secondary school, um, which um, had 200, well, will have in due course 200 or more students. So that was a critical part of our, uh, our plans. And also the very important Catholic University in Erbil, uh, which was Archbishop Bashar Water's great project in Erbil, where many of the Christians from the Nineveh Plains have, have now settled. And that university uh, is something that Aid to the Church in Eat has funded through the Pope Francis Scholarship Scheme. And I interviewed students who told me of how um, that university was giving them hope, not only um, to, to gain their studies, but also to play their part in rebuilding uh, the, their community there. And um, it, it's it's very, very important that uh, we put across to you that Aid to the Church Need um, recognises the, the difficult reality that persecuted Christians face, but at the same time responds with faith and with love and with hope. And one of the things that I found particularly touching from my visit to, to Iraq most recently was when I met uh, a sister, and her name is Sister Grace, and she had been one of those who'd fled with her family um, when Baghdad's Christians came under fire back in 2010, the, uh, uh, um, the Church of Salvation uh, the Syriac Catholic Cathedral was bombed and, and many people killed. And after that, her family left and they eventually settled in Australia. But sister, as she became, she was a young child at that point, but Grace um, d decided that she would return uh, from Sydney, Australia, uh, where the family had settled. Uh, she'd return to, to uh, Iraq. And now she has um, making her way through the various stages of her novitiate uh, uh, and uh, her junior vows uh, to become a, a daughter of 
Mary Immaculate in Nankawa, and she is a singing sister. She had produced various albums of Christian songs uh, in in Sydney, and I inevitably found her teaching the young uh, young catechists and the students there uh, various Christian songs, and she. Uh, told me in an interview that I had with her just before returning home, she she said, I love being with the teenagers. They are really hungry for the word of God. Um, and she said, I feel content. I cannot see myself doing any other kind of work or living any other kind of life. And you can just imagine uh, the horror of her family that she was sacrificing uh, the, the newfound freedom in Australia. To, for a return to uh, not very safe Iraq, but she was determined to go through with it. And really, she seemed a, a person full of faith and absolutely uh, felt at home. And she felt that she was doing the right thing, that she was responding to the call of God. So um, and Bashar Water, the Archbishop of of Erbil was over uh, in the UK in the summer for the Religious Freedom Ministerial, which Aid to the Church in Need played a part in organising uh, at the QE2 Centre in Westminster. And he spoke, he met the then Foreign Secretary uh, Liz Truss and uh, a number of others and uh, ministers, and he put across to them the urgent need to continue support for uh, religious freedom in uh, the Middle East and how religious diversity uh, and including support for minority groups was critical for the survival of that diversity. And he, he has said very publicly on numerous occasions how if it weren't for the work of aid to the church in need, if it weren't for the prayers of aid to the church in need, if it weren't for the charity of aid to the church in need, uh, really Christianity in Iraq may have died a death after 2014. Uh, we, he said, uh, and all of those of you who listen and who are supporting Aid to Church Need in whatever way have been critical to survival of Christianity in this ancient heartland of Iraq, uh, of Nineveh, uh, of Mesopotamia. And um, that that is no small achievement given that Daesh uh, have been found guilty according to many parliaments, not least our own and the US Secretary of State John Kerry, uh, and the European Parliament and other parliaments all declared that Daesh were guilty of genocide against Christians and Yazidis, and yet they have survived that. And that this is an incredible sign of witness and of hope at a time when everyone might well have expected Christianity to be snuffed out. That light still shines, and that light is shining uh, in the presence of uh, their love for, for our Lord, who, of course, will come as, as our light of hope in but a few days' time at Christmas. So it, it's a time of rejoicing, too, as we reflect upon the power of of, of generosity and self-sacrifice and charity and, and the fruits that it's won for, for those Christians in Iraq and elsewhere, too. And I ought to, to say something, too, about the situation uh, in in Syria, I've been to Syria five times, including four times during the height of the uh, the civil war. And uh, the most notable of of the trips that we've made to to Syria as a, as an organisation came literally just after uh, Aleppo had been liberated, 
it had uh, been under a four-year siege by that point. Um, the forces under Bashar al-Assad, the president, were ranged against the uh, variety of militant forces, um, uh, rebel forces, uh, many of them strongly backed by militant Islamist forces, uh, had really left Syria in rubble. This great, once great and very modern city had been crushed. And um, uh, it, in just before Christmas of 20, uh, 2016, um, there had been a ceasefire and we went very early the, the next month, early in January, and we went into Aleppo. And I have never, in all my travels with Aid to the Church in Need, I've never seen anything like what I saw in, in Aleppo. Driving into that city, I vividly recall um, the desolate streets, and you looked like left and right, and uh, a huge whacking great hole in the side of a building on the right, left, right hand side and on the left, twitted, twisted iron, all that remained of a structure that was presumably a flat or, or a block of flats, or, or and then a little bit further down, a massive crater where a bomb had clearly landed. And there we were arriving in this bitter, bitter cold without any sign of electricity, any sign of power. Uh, and we huddled together and met the many bishops in Aleppo and uh, had a, a brief um, uh, overview of the critical situation in this city, which had been home to, to so many different faith groups, not least Christians, and was now uh, massively divided uh, and broken. And um, it was at about that time that we were able to, to build up our emergency support. Um, there was a, a very quite sophisticated scheme of um, provision of uh, medicine, food, and shelter, um, uh, which involved very careful calculation of exactly who had what and what more they needed. And uh, we worked with a number of organizations to provide food, shelter, and medicine. And um, we were thereby able to, to begin the process of helping this community to, to bind its wounds and to begin to move forward. And part of that was to reach out across that division and actually support some of those on the other side. So we went to Eastern uh, Aleppo or parts of it uh, and met some of these communities who were being supported. Um, and it was part of an effort to, to find uh, the, the, the basis for some degree of healing between these these, these, this fractured community. And um, with working with Sister Annie Demargin, who has a critical project coordinator, partner for Aid to the Church in Need, uh, we met up with various volunteers who took us to meet individuals who we were helping. And many of those still in Aleppo were those who were too weak, too frail um, to leave. Uh, elderly people, sick people, people in wheelchairs, people unable, literally unable to get out, uh, and who'd somehow survived the bombardment. And um, I can, the, the most uh, remarkable person I met in this category was um, a man named Antoine. And Antoine um, was uh, a Christian from Western Aleppo who had turned up to work one day. Uh, only to find that his factory had been seized 
by Daesh, and they immediately seized him and put a knife to his throat and a gun to his head and asked him, are you a Christian? And he said, yes, I am. And they demanded that he convert. And when he didn't show he was willing to do that, they uh, Im imprisoned him in a in a room within within the fact what was the factory and which was now an armaments factory for for Daesh, and they strung him up. And he reckons that this process of being uh, confined and hung up went on for perhaps um, six six weeks or more. Um, and then eventually they gave him a, a challenge. They said, "We're going to demand of you." that you carry out a suicide mission in West Aleppo. They handed him a suicide jacket and they told him that he must set off the next morning to complete his mission. And he then lay awake, terrified as to what the next day would, would, um, would bring. And uh, he woke in the very early hours. As light was dawning, he, he became vaguely conscious. And he told me that he sensed what, what he thought was a, a tap on his shoulder, someone telling him to get up. Uh, he subsequently thinks that this was Our Lady telling him to get up and make his escape. So he got up, tried the, he was at that, that, that point no longer bound up, but, but um, able to move. And um, it was, he got up, went to the, the door of his cell, found that he, astonishingly, that it was open and he got out. And as he stood in the main uh, hallway of the, 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 the building, no one about, they were all at prayer. So he made his way to the main door of the building and it had a chain through uh, the, the lock area, the handle area. Uh, and the, as he pulled on the door, the chain slipped through and uh, he was able thereby to, to get out and um, uh, somehow was able to, to get out of the premises, the uh, and make his way through um, Aleppo, even though he was uh, very sick, uh, he able to, to get a cab or something. Somebody gave him a lift, uh, and he was able to join his family in the western part of Aleppo. And that very evening was reunited with his wife, Georgette, and his three young children. And at that point, um, he was the family sought help uh, from Aid to the Church in Need and Sister Annie, our project partner, we found them a new place of accommodation and that's where I met them. And uh, having told the story, Antoine said to me, we are unable to keep up the rent of this accommodation, this flat. Can you help? And uh, we were then able, through Sister Annie, to give him the much needed uh, money to enable him to stay so much of his money having gone on medicine uh, following the, the trauma and the physical uh, punishments that he ha had been inflicted on him during his time in uh, confinement with, with Daesh. And um, as we passed him the money, uh, handed it over to him, he, he said um, that he was very, very grateful. And his wife, um, Georgette, looked at me uh, and then looked at him and then said to him, uh, didn't I tell you the Lord would never abandon us? And that for me has always been uh, a wonderful sign of God's love in action in the most unlikely of ways. 
uh, and that love is made possible through the generosity, uh, the self-sacrifice, um, and the commitment of the benefactors of aid to the church in need. And although that community in Syria uh, is much diminished now, uh, those who remain, uh, many of them have great faith and great determination to keep Christianity alive in this region, which uh, was the first region where uh, the community were called Christians. And uh, of course, uh, many of those from uh, Syria uh, are thought to have been present at uh, the first Pentecost, um, <clears throat> the Pentecost Sunday that we celebrate recalls the memories of those from Syria who were there uh, at Pentecost in Jerusalem. So theirs is an ancient faith and it survived all these years. And please God, with the help that we've been able to give, it will continue not only to survive, but to grow. And uh, this is critical for us um, as we as we move forward. Um, so for us, these two countries, Iraq and Syria, uh, are great um, project priorities. And uh, that project priority has now spread to Lebanon because since, uh, especially since the explosion that took place um, on the 4th of August 2020, you may recall there was this explosion and um, uh, it, it devastated so much of Beirut and especially the Christian quarter. And uh, it triggered uh, exodus of Christians. I was in touch with Monsignor Tufik uh, from the diocese of, of, uh, of Beirut, Maronite diocese of Beirut, and he told me at the time uh, that many, many families were coming asking for um, references and other things uh, with a view to making applications, visa applications by way of leaving the country. And it um, has been part of this cycle of decline for Lebanon. Uh, and our, our national director, our new national director, Dr. Caroline Hull, visited um, Lebanon uh, in, in the spring and was deeply devastated by the economic decline with with hospitals that are completely un, unused, um, with, with people unable to feed their children uh, with, with great devastation. And Aid to the Church Need then, for that reason, has added Lebanon to its list of priority countries in the Middle East, recognizing that it, 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 it's, it's very, very important for the survival of Christianity in the whole of the Middle East uh, for, for Christianity uh, to, to be supported in, in Lebanon. So um, we're building up our, our project support, material support, pastoral support. Um, and a part of that is, is about rebuilding churches. Um, we, as a charity, are unashamed in our commitment to repairing those churches that are critical for the faithful to gather. And when I was in Homs uh, in Aleppo, I visited a in Homs in Syria rather. I visited uh, the the Cathedral of, of Hope uh, in Homs, which had been devastated by no less than five or six bombs, some large, some small. And um, I went there with the uh, the then Bishop of Homs, Monsignor. Uh, Salvanos sadly passed away now, but he pointed to a, a dark patch on the ground of this um, cathedral, which through bombardment was now open to the skies. And he said that it was at this pot where his uh, 
his brother had been killed by a bomb, but he said very much that he wanted to see the church rebuilt. And looking at the, the state of that church, I thought, impossible. It's completely ruined. But um, when I last was in Syria in 2019, that ch church was re was renewed uh, and the faithful were gathering. And it's very important for us as, as Catholics, as Christians, to be committed to places of worship for us to gather and celebrate and receive the sacraments and be as a, a physical witness to our faith. And for me, that was very much made plain when the last morning in Homs, you pull back the curtains in the room where I was staying, and it was a bright, uh, crisp winter's morning, and the sunlight just picked out the, the golden cross at the top of the dome. And it sounded, it felt like to me uh, that, that Christ was arising uh, um, like the phoenix rising from the ashes of de devastation and that again aid to the church in need played a critical part in that and that somehow um, this was a sign of hope against all the darkness and all the devastation and all the sense of profound pain and loss that people have been through and um, so it is that ACN hopes to to continue that work and with God's grace and God, uh, God's uh, mercy that that will, will continue. Um, for so many years, ACN has operated under the, uh, the, the baton of the various popes, and Pope Benedict was the one who specifically told aid to the church need to prioritize help for Christians in the Middle East. And this was before things had got as bad as they are now. And he told us in a special meeting to, to mark an anniversary, a critical uh, anniversary of ACN, he had a meeting with him, and he spoke of the need to help the church in the Middle East, where it is, as he put it, threatened in its very existence. So we have sought to remain true to our commitment uh, to responding to his call, and um, that is why um, we're able um, to, to report back and show the many things that we have done. Thank you so much for um, all that you said. It has been such an inspiring um, talk thus far, and I, I thought I would give you a little bit of a break, and maybe we could hear some music, um, if that's all right. Absolutely, yes. Um, if you would like to call in and you have any questions, we will be opening the lines in a little while. The number to dial is 01223 um, this is Radio Maria live from Cambridge. I'm Tim, and I'm speaking to um, John Pontifex and John Candia from ACN, that's Aid to the Church in Need. And they have been sharing with us the amazing work that they have been doing and the plight of Christians um, that is largely uh, unknown by the rest of the world, the rest of the Christian world, and just the importance of having these voices heard. Um, but for now, let's listen to the Lord's Prayer in Arabic.
Good morning and welcome. You are listening to Radio Maria Live from Cambridge. We have been listening to John Pontifex and John Candia speak to us from A to the Church in Need about persecuted Christians. And we are going to be taking calls in a little while if anybody has some questions. Um, the number to dial is 01223-375-564. John, over to you. Thank you very much, Tim. And welcome, dear listeners, to this session on the Middle East and persecuted Christians. And uh, introducing the situation in Iraq and Syria was just uh, now my colleague, John Pontevex, Head of Press Information at Aid to the Church in Need. He's been going into depth about the work that ACN is doing in Syria to fund schools, churches, uh, and the same in Iraq, all kinds of projects. And he himself has been there numerous times to see the situation. And ACN's work includes, as we've been talking about, the Persecuted and Forgotten Report launched last month in Parliament. You can order it for free on the ACN website, acnuk.org. And the report goes into 24 countries where the persecution of Christians is the worst around the world. And it focuses particularly on Africa, Middle East, and Asia. And next week, we'll be talking about Southwest Asia, Pakistan, India, Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, and the Maldives in particular. Uh, and and just to conclude this session on the Middle East, I just wanted to refer to the countries that the report mentions. And you may find that for your, for your, for your own reading, for your friends, for your family, for your parish, there may be a particular country of interest to you, uh, which you can follow up yourself. Um, these countries are Egypt, Israel, Palestine, Turkey, Syria and Iraq, which you've focused on in this show, then Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar. Sorry to repeat, Egypt, Israel, Palestine, Turkey, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, the, the famous country over the last month, given that it's been hosting the Football World Cup. Uh, and if I was to, to go over the, the general trends in the report, because obviously there's so much detail that the John Pontifex and a few other members of the ASEAN team have compiled over the course of two years, which this report covers. Uh, there's so many things I could go into, so many details, so many trends, but to, to categorize a few of the key ones, I'd say this, that, that in countries in the Levant, so in the Eastern Mediterranean, such as Syria and Lebanon and, and Turkey, one of the key trends that we've been seeing the report outlines is the fact that many Christians are emigrating, are leaving the Middle East to find a life in a different country, whether it's Europe, uh, a country in Europe or in America or elsewhere, Australia is another key destination. So many of the Christians who are who are living in these countries are, are often leaving precisely to avoid some of the, 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 the dangers to their life that John has referred to in his talk and, and also uh, to, to, to find an economically and, and, and politically more stable environment to, to live in and to raise a family, for example. So that's one of the key trends we're seeing in the Eastern Mediterranean and in countries that have been severely affected, for example, by 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 Islamic states, by by Daesh and other Islamic groups. Uh, and then in other countries like in Egypt, and we'll get into next week, for example, Pakistan, there are certain laws uh, and administrative uh, dangers for Christians uh, that, that are particularly pronounced. And one of them is obviously blaspheming the Islamic faith. And that's something that many Christians are often accused of in countries such as Egypt. And that trend, ACN warns in the Persecuted and Forgotten Report, is definitely growing. As well as, for example, in Egypt, the abduction, forced conversion and marriage of Coptic Christian women. So this is something as well that can get Christians into big trouble when they convert uh, after being married or, or potentially even before being married. And 
and in, in many cases sometimes being forced to to to, to marry uh, and again that's something that happens in a number of different countries around the middle east to christians uh, tragically but uh, in, in particularly in egypt as the report outlines over the last two years growing trend unfortunately and in many of these countries christians are a very small minority and you may not know uh, the fact that in countries such as, as, as Lebanon and Iraq and Syria, as John was just explaining, the number of Christians used to be much higher. And now, because of Im immigration and uh, is, is, is Islamist uh, caliphates like uh, Islamic State being being set up over the last 10 years in some of these countries and the growing threat and the continuing threat of terrorism, even after these caliphates have been taken down, uh, many Christians are being, are being basically encouraged or uh, forced to leave. Uh, their countries so that the number of Christians is going down. Um, now, in the case of Egypt, for example, the Christian population is about 10% of the overall population. And as far as I can remember, um, a, a recent Red Wednesday event, uh, a, uh, an Egyptian um, uh, bishop, uh, I think of the, the Coptic Orthodox Church uh, based in London, was saying that the the, the the number of Christians in Egypt is actually now the, the vast majority of all the Christians in the Middle East. So there's there's far more Christians now as a proportion of all the Christians in the Middle East in Egypt than there ever has been. And it's a sign that so many Christians are leaving the other countries. Uh, and so even though the number of Christians may not be necessarily declining in Egypt, the threats against them s seem to be, and that's what the report suggests. And then in Iran, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, the general trend is as a particular danger for converts to the faith and for those who have stood up for their faith in Christ and defended the truth in some of these most hostile environments in Iran, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. In particular, they face all kinds of threats uh, ranging from state sanction, so laws that are referred to earlier such as blasphemy against, for example, uh, the Islamic faith and tenets of the Islamic faith. Uh, and then they're accused to all kinds of things within the education system. Uh, it could be prejudice against Christians, uh, uh, certain hatred being taught against Christians within schools that has been noted in the report uh, in the case of Saudi Arabia and also Qatar. The banning of evangelization, the banning of spreading the gospel, making that a criminal offense. That's something that even though there may be one or two signs that this is uh, waning uh, in one or two of these countries, there does seem to be a sustained pressure against Christians to not spread the gospel. And that's one of the key threats, particularly in the Arab Peninsula, in Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and then moving eastwards to Iran. And just to give one outline of that, uh, if, if you were to read the report section on Iran, you'd find that there's, there's all kinds of crazy situations that Christians have found themselves in and crazy things have been accused of. Uh, for example, in, in one case in May 2022, three Christians were sentenced to prison or exile after being accused of, of worshipping at home. And a Tehran Revolutionary Court sentenced an Iranian Armenian to 10 years in prison and 10 years of deprivation of social rights for teaching Christians in his home. Uh, so these Christian converts, one 45 years old, another one 46, uh, were deprived of social rights for 10 years and fined the equivalent of £10,000 and were also banned from leaving Iran. And this was simply for worshipping Christ at home and teaching others to do the same. And so that was this year, May 2022 in Iran. So just to give you an example of what's going on, but at the same time, there's, there's cause for hope for the church in these countries. Uh, I was reading personally myself a, a few years ago that the, the number of Google searches for 
Christianity or the term Christianity or Jesus Christ is the highest in the world in Iran. And it actually exceeds the vast majority of Europe and, and, and America. If, if you look at Google searches for the term Christianity or Jesus Christ, and I don't know if that statistic is still true, but there's clearly a, a strong interest, an underground covert interest in the faith in countries like Iran, Saudi Arabia, that is not ever mentioned on the news. And this is what ACN is, is trying to get across to people, the importance of raising the flag, the red flag, uh, about the persecution of Christians in the Middle East, but also letting people know that there are many Christians out there and many uh, aspiring Christians who want to find more about more about the faith, and they can't do that, particularly within the, the, the framework, the legal framework, the political framework, the military framework that, that these countries are operating in. So you have to keep praying for them. And, and this is my final comment for you today, that um, the three things you can do to help aid to the church in need are to pray, give your time, uh, your donations are always welcome, but first of all, please pray. Please pray for those Christians uh, in the Middle East that we can help them to to share their faith and also to, to persevere in the faith, and that we can provide for their practical needs as well. And th those two things work hand in hand. And then also get involved with ACN's work. It could be that you, you join our uh, petitions that that we put out often. So there's one recently on Nigeria, which is a country we covered last week in Africa, acnuk.org forward slash petition hyphen 2022. Once, one more time, acnuk.org forward slash petition hyphen 2022. Please go onto our website, get involved with the petition, sign it and share it on, because it's one of the best things you can do to, to, to raise the plight of persecuted Christians with our um, election. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've just uh, lost the line there with um, John Pontifex and John Candia. But um, to reiterate what John was saying, um, the, the main things, the main way in which we can help is through, first of all, prayer. And the second was through petition. And John was about to give us a third way. I'm just going to play a song and see if I can get him back on the line. We've managed to reconnect not with John Candia just yet, but with John Pontifex. And John Pontifex is going to just reiterate what John was saying. Um, how how is it that we can support the work of aid to the church in need? Over to you, John. 
Thank you very much indeed for that, Tim. And it, it's simply to indicate that especially as Christmas approaches and as so many Christians uh, look forward with some degree of trepidation to some of the, the things that can happen to Christians, particularly at times like Christmas, when uh, very often in places like in Nigeria, it can happen that Christians are attacked for their on their festivals. So it, it's not uh, it's not the greatest of times for Christians necessarily in places of persecution. Christmas and uh, many of them, of course, have um, poverty uh, needs that mean that they're unable to, to celebrate Christmas quite in the way that you and I would hope for them. So um, lacking basic provisions to enable families to have a decent Christmas means that Aid to the Church in Need has an important task of providing critical help. Um, and so this Christmas we are providing help for a number of families, particularly in Syria and Lebanon, which I mentioned before. And so we've just uh, announced a programme providing um, warm clothing, coats and jumpers and uh, other things for 30,000 children across Syria. And also in Aleppo, we're wanting to, to give 1,500 youngsters uh, a chance for uh, a festive lunch uh, where they'll be joining up with elderly guests uh, for their Christmas celebrations and nativity play, which they will perform uh, and lay on for, for the elderly. Uh, and in Lebanon, uh, we're providing um, warm clothes and Christmas presents for 14,000 children. So in order for us to um, continue work of that nature, uh, please do support the work of Aid to the Church in Need. So the, the place to do, go is www.acnuk.org and you'll see options there for you to donate and make a Christmas offering in support of persecuted Christians. And it would be a wonderful way to join in solidarity with them at this time. Wonderful. Thank you. It's been such a uh, privilege to have you on um, Radio Maria. And we look forward to, this was the third of five talks that you have, um, you are giving to us. And we look forward to the fourth and the fifth. Great. Thank you, Tim, very much. It's been wonderful to share with you the work of the charity and the urgent needs of those who suffer for their Christian faith. Well, God bless you, and we look forward to the next one. Great. Thank you.